Streaming is now firmly established in the marketplace as a major way that listeners consume music. But technology is always evolving and creating new options and opportunities. So how might streaming evolve? And what might those changes do to the music industry? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. On today's episode, we talk about one way streaming services might change and evolve into a new experience for listeners. It's all coming up on The Future of What. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Zach Zalin of Super Hi-Fi. Zach, welcome to The Future of What. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm excited to talk to you today. There's some exciting stuff going on in the world that your company is doing, which we will totally get to. But let's just start by having you explain what Super Hi-Fi is and does. So let me start that actually by explaining the way that we see the world of digital music, and then I think it'll make a little bit more sense as to what we're doing and why we're doing it. Awesome. Yes, please. So digital music conceptually is fantastic, but it's actually been around in some similar form to what it is for the past 20 or so years. My business partner and I have been working together for over 20 years and have actually built and operated a whole host of digital music services. We actually started as the first two employees, as an example, for a short-lived digital record label that Jimmy Iovine started prior to his work with Beats Electronics and ultimately selling it to Apple. We very quickly moved and started something called Virgin Digital for Richard Branson, which we operated for seven and a half years and built out all of his digital music platforms globally. When we left Virgin, when the Virgin Megastores were shutting down, we set up a digital agency to do the same thing for others that we had been doing for Richard and built out AOL Radio and Yahoo LaunchCast back when those are brands that really mattered. We built out the entire CBS Radio national platform for digital music delivery. One of the services we're most proud of is something called Move Music, which Cricket Wireless brought us on to develop and design, which was a digital music service in a handset, in a rate plan for low-income customers, which was something we really enjoyed and built about three and a half million paying subscribers on that platform before Cricket sold to AT&T. Wow. So we've been doing this for a really long time. And the thing that we've noticed is that the challenge of the digital music services initially were just that the business model was really hard to figure out. But in addition, there was really no way to differentiate these services from one another. Right. In other words, if you close your eyes, the digital music services all basically sound the same, right? right? It's the right. artists that you're experiencing, not the service that's delivering it to you. True. This was really frustrating to us. But I think initially, as we were working with our partners, we focused more on the business model side of things because I think you have to, right? These have to be sustainable, profitable, growing ventures, or they're not going to really have an opportunity to delight and entertain customers. Mm, okay. For the most part, that's been figured out now. The entire music industry has really moved to a digital delivery model, and the services have figured out for the most part, at least the ones that most of us know about have figured out how to make money at that, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yes. But nobody's yet really figured out how to truly differentiate themselves. That one piece about entertaining in a differentiated way, that doesn't really exist. And the one thing that the services have had that's helped them to create some differentiation is really just their user interface, mm -hmm. the logo that sits on the top left of the screen. Mm -hmm. 
But as more and more listening starts gravitating towards smart speakers that lacks any visual interface at all, right? the services are even starting to lose that one point of differentiation. So from our perspective, at least the way that we see the world, is a very long way of answering your question, by the way. <laughs> the way that we see the world is that if you close your eyes, you can't tell who you're listening to, and that has to change. Ah, okay. So that is the root of the issue, of the concern, of the... I want to call it a passion, but it's something more. It was an annoyance, if you will, that really drove us to start to wonder, how can we create the tools that will allow these services, many of whom we know, some of which we've built, how do we create the tools to allow them to actually do something that differentiates? That's where it all started. So that, first, I just want to make sure that made sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. So the answer to us was kind of primarily around taking the radio-like experiences that have worked really well for broadcast radio over the years and bringing them into the digital world in a way that still allowed these services to deliver personalized experiences to their listeners. And so that breaks down into a few categories. The first is that today, when you listen to a digital music service, you hear a song, then you hear a giant gap of silence, <laughs> And then you hear another song. Okay, yes. And then maybe, if you're lucky, you hear an advertisement that plays 30% louder than the songs, and then another giant gap of silence. That's not a great experience. Right. What radio has done well, and let's ignore some of the things that radio has done that consumers don't necessarily love. Oh, like not paying artists? Yeah, that would be a big one. <laughs> Go on. There are a host <laughs> of things. I mean, you know, they've been a challenged industry as well. And so, you know, there are too many ads probably. The production qualities have gotten too commercialized in some respects. But what they've done really well is build brands and build differentiation. They all have the same music. Radio stations have the same music as every other radio station available to them. And yet some radio stations do incredibly well and some don't. And the reason why is that the production quality, the stuff that goes in between the songs, is better on one station than another. And they've figured out how to market that and build a brand that consumers actually respond to. Mm. What if we could take that same approach and move it into the digital landscape? What if we could take those giant gaps that exist today between those songs and those ads that play 30% louder than the songs themselves? And what if we could instead create automated production level quality that rivals terrestrial radio or enhances what terrestrial radio does, but to do it in a digital way so that when you're listening to services, all the songs blend perfectly together as though a human DJ was mixing them in the studio. And the space between the songs can start also getting filled with all kinds of really rich dynamic content, whether it's IDs, right? Audio IDs or audio branding, so you know who you're listening to, or sonic logos, so there's some kind of reference point for consumers, or artist interviews that are really interesting, or podcast snippets. Or what if the ads that played in between some of the services that are the non-paid services, what if they actually sounded good when you were listening to it? Mm, yeah. That's what Super Hi-Fi does. Super Hi-Fi, the technology that we created, the artificial intelligence that we ultimately had to create because we couldn't think of any other way to do it, is designed to effectively be an incredibly powerful mixing and production tool in the cloud that delivers perfectly polished really highly produced listening experiences, but it does it all completely automated with no human intervention. And it does it for each service in a fundamentally different way than it does it for any other service 
so they can enjoy a level of differentiation and allow them to bring their brand to life where it currently doesn't really exist at all. Wow. So Super Hi-Fi would actually be a tool to be used by other services. So like DSPs, for example. That's exactly right. Hmm. Our market is what we call digital music experience providers. Got it. Right? So DSPs is kind of the common term in the industry for the traditional streaming media services, right? Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Amazon, Deezer, etc. Right. We loathe that term. And the reason why is that it's so soulless. <laughs> digital service provider is exactly what we're trying to help these people avoid in a way we want them to become digital experience providers. Right. But in addition, we are also focused on anyone that uses music to entertain, not just the standard services. So a great example of that would be Peloton. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Right. Peloton is one of our partners. Peloton is one of the fastest growing and certainly the most innovative fitness brand in the world today. Mm-hmm. But they use so much music to power all of their fitness rides, you know, whether it's their treadmill or whether it's their bike, which is really their breakthrough product. If you watch one of their classes, music underpins the entire experience. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were sitting there on a, on a powerhouse ride and a great high energy song was playing and then you got five seconds of dead air right. and then another song played? Right. Yeah, The experience would totally fall apart. And so yeah. that is a perfect example of a company that uses super hi-fi to help manage the experience, even though they're not a traditional digital music service provider. Right, definitely. Oh, yeah. And I can see the applications in a lot of arenas. I mean, let's take a service that's specifically in restaurants and bars, for example, you know, places where people are, want a different kind of a music experience. I can see a lot of applications. Yeah, we can too. There's more music consumption that's happening than ever before and in more places than ever before. It's totally portable at this point because of your phone. Mm-hmm. It's streaming through your smart speakers on a very regular basis. And it's one of the top use cases for smart speaker usage. I think something like asking for the weather and news is number one. And then asking to play music is number two. Right. Yeah. And so you've got all these great digital music experiences, but none of them, if you think about it, none of them actually focus on the one thing that really matters, which is the quality of the experience that's actually coming out of the speaker. Yeah. And I think that it's not unusual that, especially in the music industry, the technology outstrips how people have to do it. So it's like, I think, like you said in the beginning of the interview, you know, everyone got real excited about how are we going to just get people digital music? And so that's what happened. You know, now we have these DSPs and people can, you know, you download Spotify and then you can listen to music just streaming. And so it's like, The technology was there and people were just throwing it out there. But now we've hit a point where we can refine that and now we can make the experience better. And so companies like yours are offering that type of service, which I think is exactly the perfect time for that because I think people are now ready for a better experience. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Spotify and I pulled it up and it was this black screen. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what am I looking at? But it's because that wasn't their focus. Their focus was not like, let's make something pretty to look at. It was like, let's get people listening to streaming music. Totally. And in fact, Spotify, I think you're starting to see our story get told by others like Spotify. So as an example, one of the things that they've been experimenting with over the past couple of months is called Your Daily Drive, Mm -hmm. which is basically a music playlist that I imagine is algorithmically selected for you. But in between, they're putting audio news flashes and they're putting podcast snippets from their catalog of podcasts so that instead of it just being song after song after song after song, 
it starts to become something that's uniquely your own entertainment experience mm. with up to the minute news, with topical information through podcasts that might be interesting, and with music that I guess they assume that you're really going to like. And that is actually directionally right in line with the way that we see these things starting to emerge. Now, they don't do it in any way that's produced yet, right? It's a song, it's a gap of silence, it's a podcast at a different volume level. It's all the things that we focus on are kind of not yet in there, but it's a really interesting way of starting to see how services are starting to realize that they're not differentiated and they have to figure something out or else they risk becoming commodities. And in a world of commodities, the only thing that ultimately matters is price. Right, right. Right. And we know that they want to avoid that. They don't want to get into a price war. They want to assume a brand position in a consumer's mind so that they're worth even more than that consumer is paying. Right. Exactly. Well, and people will pay for a different experience. We've seen that over and over.
That was The Hex by Horse Feathers. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Zach Zalen of Super Hi-Fi. So it's really interesting that what your company is doing is that you've created an AI to sort of smooth out the rough edges and to make things sound uniform. And I think that's fascinating. I do think we need to sort of detour for a second and go down this rabbit hole of your name is Super Hi-Fi. When I first heard the name, I thought, oh, it's like Pono, right? We're talking about like high fidelity digital. Like what's the difference between the way digital normally is and then this like high fidelity digital. And I feel like that has been just a really interesting topic over the last several years, you know, since the ascendancy of digital, because we really went from a marketplace in which people cared about the quality of their sound, right? This is why people were vinyl aficionados and people were buying $10,000 Bose sound systems and positioning their chair in just the right place in their home, you know, to get the perfect listening experience. And then overnight, we went to this digital environment where everyone was like, I can sort of hear that it's a song. It was just so different in such a quick space of time that it's interesting, you know, because now, of course, the conversation has been revived about the quality of the sound. Yeah. So if we're going to go down the rabbit hole, I guess I should probably just tee up that, A, I'm a self-proclaimed audiophile. I'm one of those guys that has the big giant sets of speakers and monoblock (laughs) amplifiers. And when I have the time, you know, positioning myself in the right place, Mm -hmm. and I'm very, Mm -hmm. I have a very big soft spot for (laughs) anybody who considers themselves an audiophile today, because it's a rare and diminishing breed. But here's the reality when it comes to fidelity. And I should say, our technology does not deal with fidelity. Our partners are delivering music in whatever fidelity they want to. Mm-hmm. We're just dealing with the production side to try and make that fidelity sound as good as it can from a production standpoint or from a, an experience standpoint. Right. But to the point of fidelity, as much as I love really high fidelity and as much as I prefer to listen in uncompressed formats like FLAC or Apple's lossless audio codec, the reality is, is that when you do tests on consumers... A, for the most part, there's no preference based on higher fidelity. So if you mix it up and you go from pretty low to pretty high fidelity, what you get is a pretty random distribution of people who actually think that one sounds better than the other. And in some cases, consumers have actually preferred the lower quality codecs because it seems to emphasize the bass a little bit more Mm. when you play it out. Oh, that's interesting. And so as much as I wish that consumers were clamoring for and would pay more for a lossless experience. The reality is, and it isn't just the speakers that they're listening to or the fact that they're listening through little earbuds, even if you play through these really huge, really pristine systems, consumers really can't hear the difference. And when they hear the difference, they seem to prefer the lower end ones because what they want is more bass. So it's kind of a myth and that that high fidelity really matters from a consumer standpoint. Now, it may matter from a brand standpoint. Right. So like Amazon's music service sure. just actually released a high-definition version of their service. Mm-hmm. It certainly pays a lot of respect to the audiophiles that want to use digital music but don't want to dumb down the quality of the fidelity. Right. But overall, there's very little likelihood that that will actually ultimately have any commercial impact. Right. Yeah, and then we can be done with that rabbit hole. I just wanted to quickly touch on that since, you know. Oh, I love that rabbit hole. <laughs> it's actually pretty interesting. And we can actually point to scientific studies. We've done a lot of those studies ourselves on behalf of our partners. 
you know, just with all the digital music services that we built, there are a lot of questions people have about which codec to use. Some of the results we have are proprietary and some of them are publicly available. And, and there are all kinds of interesting scientific studies about this. But yeah, the general consensus view is that the codecs don't matter as much as we wish they would. Right. And just with respect to our name, the super hi-fi name, we realize that it may actually hint at higher fidelity and yet it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> right. but, but I think it, it wouldn't have mattered what we actually named ourselves because the category that we're playing with the category that we're creating didn't really exist before. And so nobody's really understood it anyway. So whatever we <laughs> called ourselves, I think our product would have been pretty confusing to most people at the beginning. Well, and also, you know, there's always the argument that Google means nothing and now it means a lot or it meant nothing when they first named the company, you know. Right. And we should be so lucky as to be that well-known. Exactly. But yeah, the name itself is something we we liked. I think we thought it was kind of fun. It kind of hints at what we do. Mm -hmm. I will just kind of say, when we did go out there to the marketplace the first, you know, at first couple of years ago, everybody loved the technology, but nobody could actually understand how to use it. <laughs> it's not. It's not like anybody's actually been asking for what we're doing. Right. Which is a weird way to start a business. And having started so many businesses for other people, having had so many companies kind of hire us to do digital transformation for them, uh -huh. we knew that this was the hardest road to go. Right. I think we would always recommend to entrepreneurs as an example, if they ask us, don't ever try and answer a question that nobody's actually asking. <laughs> exactly. It just confuse everybody. It does. Um, <laughs> but we chose to do that anyway. So we ignored our own best advice. <laughs> I'm actually glad that we did because... Even though it took a lot longer for people to understand what we were doing or understand how it might affect them as a business, the reality is, is that with enough effort as we've gotten people to start asking that question, we are ultimately the ones with the answer. Right. And that's an interesting place to be. And it's really been fun for us because when we find companies that have a similar vision for where digital music is going, we can start doing some really awesome things together. And yeah. It's taken a lot longer to get to a place where people are actually interested in using our service. But now that we started to really gain some traction and companies are starting to get really interested in what we're doing, it's fantastic because we have all this experience now over the past couple of years of kind of trying things out, experimenting with early partners and trying to kind of figure out like, how is this going to ultimately take root and transform the digital music landscape. And I think we have a pretty solid perspective on that now. Yeah. And fortunately, companies are, are starting to come in and hire us to help them bring their ideas to life. Absolutely. So that leads us right into, it was just announced in the press that you guys have partnered with Napster. Yeah. Which is really exciting. That's very cool. Yeah, we're really excited about that. So there are a few things like this year has been really good for us because we finally broken through with that traction. I mean, last year we announced our partnership with iHeart, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But that was really our only partner. They were the only company at the time that was willing to bet that this would matter. Right. And it did, ultimately. In our early tests with those guys, just before it went commercially live, our early tests used a couple hundred thousand of their listeners where they would just flip on the super hi-fi technology and see what it would do. And an increased time spent listening at that point by almost 10%. Wow, that's pretty cool. So we knew we were onto something. Right. And they were really intrigued by that too. And they've been an amazing partner through the year, just kind of helping us to figure out like, all right, what works, what doesn't work? How can we do it differently? They're a big company, but they actually act like entrepreneurs. They've been amazing. And that ultimately led to partnership announcements from this year, Peloton, Associated Press, Elevated Music Group, a really strong strategic partnership with Universal Music Group. We announced our first patent a few months ago. 
And then last week, we announced our partnership with Napster. And that's really exciting because Napster is a consumer brand. But the reality is, is that at this point, I think the global leaders in B2B digital music services. Mm. So they actually power other services like, you know, Univision and, and their entire radio platform or Sony Music's high fidelity service in Japan and, and a whole host of others, some of which are public and some I don't think that they've announced yet. But that's really interesting for us because it means that we have the opportunity to work with them and help them to bring other kind of more niche music experiences to life in a way that they never could have, have had before. And, you know, they host all of the plumbing right. for digital music. So companies can get up and running really quickly. Like they have the licenses for the record labels and publishers. They have the music ingestion and encoding services. They have all the music delivery and reporting services. And now we get to layer our technology on top of that so that their customers can experience all those other things, fully produced experiences, songs that stitch together perfectly, interviews, news, podcast elements being woven into the experience. So it becomes more like a tapestry of listening that's very personalized rather than just a playlist of music. Well, that is really exciting. What do you think the time frame is for rolling this out? You mean with Napster specifically? With Napster specifically. Like, when do you think consumers are going to be hearing your technology in action? I think pretty shortly. We have some things that we're going to announce in early 2020, which we're really excited about with them. We have other announcements that will hit in early 2020 as well, just independently of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that generally what you'll start seeing in 2020, at least this is very self-serving to say, but I believe it is that you'll start seeing a transformation of digital music services in general from playlist-oriented to entertainment-oriented. Mm. And music entertainment still includes playlists of music. It's just it also includes other stuff that makes it sound like something different. I'm not surprised to hear you say that, Zach, because, I mean, Spotify themselves have sunk $500 million into podcasts, and you've got to figure they've got to find a way to make that resonate with their audience and available to their audience in a way very much like what you're describing, you know, something that's seamless and integrated rather than something that people have to go hunt for, because I don't think that kind of investment is going to rest on like, oh, hopefully someone will go listen to a podcast. That's right. I want to explain something just for a moment without getting too deep into this. And hopefully it doesn't come off as pedantic, but it's just such a big part of what we believe and, and why. So in addition to doing all those digital music services, our agency actually grew for a long time by just expanding out beyond music. For whatever reason, you know, music is a niche and it's a category that we're most passionate about, but it's certainly not the biggest category in terms of product development. And so we ended up creating these huge digital platforms for all these companies, you know, Ticketmaster, Madison Square Garden, the Knicks and the Rangers. We built consumer financial platforms for Citibank and Experian. We built Johnson & Johnson's global diabetes platform management tool for their customers. And we built all of National Geographic's mobile consumer apps. These are really right Fortune 50 type brands, global brands that people really like. And the thing that we learned right through all of that digital transformation work that we did for those companies, the one thing that we learned of everything was that the reason that those companies do really well, the reason that those companies are actually successful generation after generation is that they've identified that their brand has a particular feeling to it. And they know how to scientifically make that feeling connect with their consumers in a way that's really emotional over time. Mm, yeah. All right. And when you break down that science, the scientific aspect of how they do that, it comes down to two things. And they're all the same, by the way. If you talk to somebody at Johnson & Johnson about diabetes, and you talk to somebody at National Geographic about nature pictures, if you talk to their brand people, they really understand it from the same perspective, which is that A, 
their values or what they stand for are front and center, mm-hmm. right? Or Harley Davidson's a great example of that. We didn't do any work for them, but you know, people tattoo a Harley Davidson logo on their arm. That's because those values are front and center. People feel like they can connect to it. And the second thing is that they focus on what makes them different. Mm. So what you stand for and what makes you different is what you're known for. Right. To create that kind of almost legacy of a brand interaction with a consumer, you have to have those two qualities. What you were talking about a moment ago with Spotify, Mm -hmm. that's them trying to figure out what makes themselves different from everybody else. They're figuring it out. Right. But the reality is, is that for most of the services that exist today, I don't think it's easy to tell me what they stand for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure it's easy to tell me what makes them different. Right. Our goal long-term is to help them figure those two things out and to bring it to life through the things that come out of the speaker, not how they market themselves, not their logo, not any taglines. We don't do any of that stuff. All we care about is just making sure that what comes out of that speaker has the same values and differentiation that allows consumers to build really emotional relationships so that maybe somebody will tattoo a Deezer logo on their arm (laughs) or an Apple logo on their arm for the relationship that they have with that music service. And I think that that is totally achievable. That's what we're aiming toward. And on that note, Zach Zalin is the chief executive officer of Super Hi-Fi. Zach, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you so much for having me.
That was Feet Asleep by Tao with the Get Down, Stay Down. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Chris Williams of iHeartMedia. Chris, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you. Very happy to be here. Yes, super happy to have you. So we're having you on today to discuss your partnership with Super Hi-Fi. I am really interested in this because I feel like where we're at in the world of streaming audio, we have a bunch of services that are now pretty robust and, you know, choices for the consumer. But what they haven't done a great job of so far is differentiating themselves from one another because, you know, you can pretty much get the same content on Apple Music as you can get on Spotify, et cetera. Or iHeartRadio. Or iHeartRadio, exactly. (laughs) But what I think, you know, Super Hi-Fi is bringing to the marketplace is this exciting idea of, you know, ways to differentiate themselves and to really build a brand. So I wanted to talk to you guys, since you guys have been early to jump on this bandwagon about what attracted you to this company. Yeah, I love working with those guys a lot. And we have very similar DNA in that both of them come from a radio background, as do I. And so I think something that you'll find that with those underpinnings, there is a slightly different approach to content. Whereas with the kind of a traditional streaming service where it's all about providing the catalog and then thinking about curation, that leaves off a really important part of the user experience, and that's how the music is presented. And that's something that radio has obviously had as a front and center consideration for a long time. It's not just the curation. It's also how are the songs sequenced? Mm -hmm. How are they woven together in a way that creates the right type of flow and sets the right type of mood and is disruptive as possible? And so for us, that was the reason that it really made a lot of sense to work with the Super Hi-Fi team is they shared that same passion for focusing on the experiential side of how the content is presented, not just uh, an emphasis on curation. That really both are necessary in order to have the most delightful experience possible. Exactly. iHeartRadio is, you know, already, you've got radio in the name. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a pretty, yeah. pretty, you know, like we get the sense that that's already different. How are you guys envisioning this unfolding as you guys move forward with this company? You know, the way I look at it is this, when I'm listening to music, that, you know, that experience, I have an expectation. I'm listening to music for a reason. And if I'm allowing you to curate it for me, I don't really want to do the work. I I, want to leave it up to iHeartRadio. I'm trusting that if I've picked out a hip-hop pump-up playlist to power my workout, I'm trusting that you have not only selected the best songs, but I also want to make sure that that experience helps keep me in the mood or helps enhance the activity that I'm doing. And if in the course of listening to that hip hop pump up playlist, every three and a half minutes, I've got five to six seconds of dead air as the songs change over, (laughs) we're not fulfilling the promise and the expectation that that person had when they selected that playlist. Yeah, when the music's playing, it's perfect. It's the right BPM. The songs are hits. They're anthemic. It's all those things that I want. And, And so for three and a half minutes, everything's perfect. And then suddenly I hit silence. And I've been pulled back out of the experience that I was having. The mood has been broken. The expectation that I had about what this was going to do for my workout, it's all been tossed aside. And that happens, you know, and over the course of an hour, let's say 16 songs play, 
we've broken the mood 16 times Whoa. by having these gaps in between the songs. Right. And so there are various ways that people go about trying to think about fixing that. And so, you know, there are crossfade options that just kind of blindly bleed one song into the next with no real consideration for the specific qualities of each song. And then we think that working with the super hi-fi guys, we've got a, a much smarter integration that really is respectful of the source material. It, it recognizes the key attributes of the music and it creates perfect stitching from one song to the next that's dynamic based on each track that isn't a static fixed thing that each song influences the next song and how those songs transition together. So that as I'm going through a 30 minute experience, I picked this playlist for this mood, for this activity, that it is an uninterrupted, seamless experience of beautiful curation, but also a great presentation of how those songs are delivered in a way that the presentation enhances the experience just as much as the curation did. And that's something that radio has always been great at. As you listen to radio and you hear one song transition into the next and the DJ talking over a song into the next song and elements in between that add energy and attitude and vibe, you know, that's something that we felt was missing from just a raw playlist experience that was only interested in making sure that the curation was right, but didn't give any consideration to the presentation. Right. You know, the thing that excites me about this, I mean, there's several things that excite me about this, but one of them is sort of my prior life as a label person with my previous label that I ran for 13 years, you know, is that this gives the opportunity for so many more personal touches about artists. You know what I mean? Like there's ways that artists voices can be woven into this presenting a song or Absolutely. mentioning like a little story about the song that you just heard or you're about to hear things like that that i feel like are going to enhance the experience for consumers so much and it can be done in a way that it feels native to the song exactly. so that you know that really is the goal you want it to feel that it was produced that way with intent in the studio when the artist was in there not that it is kind of Frankenstein stitched together in jarring transitions from one thing to the next. I expect music to set a mood. And anytime there are moments that are jarring in that way, those train wreck moments, it pulls me out of that experience. And suddenly I have to become aware of what's coming out of the speaker. I don't want to have to run back and forth to the speaker to adjust the volume because <laughs> the artist's vocal and the song are different. Music produced in different eras have different compression and therefore the perception of their volume is very different and they're treated differently by speakers. And this really normalizes a lot of that out. It helps to enhance the flow and make sure everything weaves together. And when you add those touches of the personality and you integrate artists into it, it does so in a way that feels very natural to the song and feels like this very easily could have been produced this way. It's respectful of the music. It matches the energy of the music, the BPM, maybe the key of the music, you know, that all of that can be taken into consideration to stitch this together in an experience that really doesn't have a, a train wreck moment or a jarring moment. And so the entire thing is all enhancing the mood or the activity that you put that music on to improve your experience without having those moments where you're brought back out of. It should always be there. You should never be brought out of the vibe. Right. iHeart already has a pretty robust stable of podcasts that you guys have on tap. And one of the things that I like about this is that podcasts are going to be able to be woven into this in a creative way. I mean, it sounds to me like you're going to be able to do like snippets of podcasts that are maybe teasers, like 
oh, if you like you know, this current thing that you're listening to, we're going to add this little snippet of a podcast that's totally on the same topic or is you know, possibly something you'd like. And that is exciting to me because I think that's one of the big challenges we're facing in the industry right now. It's like people love music and people love podcasts, but they're actually really different listening experiences. And to sort of blop them together in this block, is it's a challenge to make those work together in a seamless way. And it seems like this might offer a little bit of an answer. Yeah, we've talked about music, but I guess the, the, the truth is that we're talking about audio and it gives the ability for all audio types to be mindful of, well, what's coming next and how do I best transition into that next piece of audio? So yes, that would be podcast content. That could be ads. Mm-hmm. How do we make the transition from music to ad be something that is less jarring and that there are comfortable transitions there and that volume is normalized and that we're not seeing levels jumping around? So yeah, it's any audio element can be fingerprinted and then you know the super hi-fi AI is able to then make the perfect recipe for making sure that as you're going through that the flow is being seamlessly transitioned from one element to the next that gives you less of a moment of kind of breaking down. I'm struggling to give the perfect way of phrasing it because when I always think about it, I think about theatrically those moments of breaking the fourth wall where where suddenly your suspension of disbelief is removed. You know, it's the audio equivalent of that. I don't want to have to be aware of what's playing. I just want it to be there and I want it to be enhancing whatever it is that I'm doing. And any moment that I have to become aware of it, there's probably a problem. You know, it's probably not for a good reason. And, you know, that really is the objective. Absolutely. You know, Super Hi-Fi is one of many companies that I have spoken to in the last year who are like finally stepping up to the plate and solving true industry problems. Right. I feel like for many years before that, we had tech companies that would hop up and, and it was almost like they thought the music industry was easy. Right. So they'd just like show up and be like, hey, we're here to solve a problem for you. And we'd all look at them like, that's not a problem that we have. You know, <laughs> like, you're, you're showing up with this tech, but it's not addressing our real needs. But I feel like, you know, 2019 has been this explosion of companies that have been years in the making from people who've been really thinking about the problems facing the industry. And all of a sudden, it's just like we're overwhelmed with exciting solutions. Yeah, And to me, that really sort of tees us up for a lot going into the 2020s. A lot of changes, you know? I mean, we started talking about how the services out there haven't done a great job of differentiating themselves. It strikes me that that could be the next thing that we're looking at in, you know, starting in the 2020s, is you really getting to make a consumer choice between, you know, this service versus that service based on, you know, how that service feels. You know how, like, like branding works, you know, right. like how branding works in every other industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that by focusing on the playout experience, and again, you know, I, I, multiple times I've, I've reiterated that I do think there are two sides of the coin. There is the music catalog, which is a bit of a commodity at this point, because as you mentioned, everybody has the same catalog, essentially. So that's somewhat commodified. So there was a focus on curation and who can curate the best experience or the best playlist, the best collection of podcasts. And for me, I think the next question really is around experience. There's this entire universe of audio, millions and millions of choices, and the paradigm of choice can be paralyzing. How do we take that entire universe of audio and how do we filter through it for our audience 
and contextualize it and personalize it and deliver up in smart ways listening experience that are enhanced by products like Super Hi-Fi that focus really on, all right, what is the play out like? How do we deliver this content? How do we present this content in a way that you're not just swimming in a sea of choices? I'm sure that everyone's had the experience of going into Netflix and spending 30 minutes just scrolling and never actually selecting a show, you know, (laughs) (laughs) binge watching trailers of things, but never picking the movie. And it's because there's always another choice. And so you go, this one's good, but let me see. There might be one better thing. And you found that you're 30 minutes down that rabbit hole. And so it's about trying to do a better job of delivering up audio content that exists. How do we do a better job of not just dropping 300,000 podcasts in a user's lap, but really getting to know that user in a way that we can deliver podcast recommendations in a really smart and accurate way that they feel like we have gotten to know them, we've gotten to understand what their tastes are like, and that we have figured out what the next podcast they should listen to is, and that they start to trust that we're good at that. How do we make sure that when we deliver music experiences to our users, that we're delivering it to them in a way that is as enjoyable as possible on both sides of the experience, both what we curate for them, that we get it right and that we pick the right artist and the right songs, but that we play it out for them in a way that really is beautiful and sophisticated and sets us apart from services that are just giving track after track after track that sound no different, honestly, than a a CD changer from the 90s (laughs) where you have to sit and wait, you know, seconds between while the CD switches to the next one. Why in the world would there be a six-second gap? But a sophisticated solution to that, not just a ham-fisted crossfade, but how do we do it in a way that respects the music, it recognizes the intent of the artist, and it weaves those songs together so that it sounds like in the studio, these would have been married together in this way, or on an album, that these songs would have flowed from one to the next in this same way. And that is something that I think that there's a subtlety to it, but once you become accustomed to that experience, once you hear music in another way, suddenly it's jarring and you realize how abrasive those moments of dead air are. They become very pronounced (laughs) when you're accustomed to them not being there anymore. I have a hard time leaving the super hi-fi experience within (laughs) iHeartRadio and listening to a non-super hi-fi experience and sitting through the dead air. Every time it comes along, I sit up and look around and try to figure out, is something broken? Did my, <laughs> did, did my headphones fall off? What, what yeah. happened? It's something that you become accustomed to. But th- I think in that subtlety, that's where that brand building is built because I become used to that. I'm not satisfied without it. I'm not satisfied with another experience that isn't thinking about what the user play out experience is like. Exactly. And I think that probably is, you know, what we're talking about trends for 2020 is, is that we're going to improve the user experience across different platforms and then, you know, create brand differentiation that way. Yeah, absolutely. Brand differentiation, not just by screaming your name, but by (laughs) creating a unique experience that no one else is able to replicate. Exactly. Well, and on that note, Chris Williams from iHeartRadio, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Portia, thank you. It's a pleasure speaking with you.
That was Conflict-Free Diamonds by Kinski. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Horse Feathers, Tao with the Get Down, Stay Down, Kinski, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next week.